All right, folks, welcome back to Inside the Daily Press. My name is Matthew Hall. I'm the editor here. Um, today, we have a good conversation for you. It's actually a little bit delayed. Um, we recorded this a couple weeks ago with city manager David White talking about city efforts around homelessness. A um, couple of minor technical difficulties prevented us from getting it uploaded quite when we wanted to, but we fixed those. And so here you go, a great conversation with the city manager about homelessness in Santa Monica. All right, folks, welcome back. Today we are here to talk about homelessness, which is obviously a huge, huge topic of concern for everyone in the city. And we are fortunate to have David White and Ashay Stevenson, who both are with the city of Santa Monica. Um, we'll give them a chance to introduce themselves in a little bit. But here we go with our, our I guess it should be more than annual, but our often annual discussion of homelessness. So why don't you folks both take take a minute and tell folks um, just who you are. And why don't, we, why don't you tell them also how long you've been with the city of Santa Monica, just for icebreaker. Sure. Ashay, would you like to start? Sure, I can start. So my name again is Shane Stevenson. I'm a senior analyst on the Housing and Human Services Division. Um, I have been with the city since September of 2022. However, I've worked in various nonprofits um, on the west side for the last 20 years. And I also am a downtown Santa Monica resident. I've lived uh, downtown for the last 20 years as well. Oh, good. I didn't know that. Uh what about you? Yeah. <laughs> Great. I'm David White, Santa Monica City Manager, and I've been in this position since October 2021. Come here by way of time spent in the city of Fairfield and the city of Berkeley, and I am a proud Sunset Park resident. Got it. Um, so, so we're here today because we've just gotten the results of the homeless count, right? So for folks who don't know, don't know, every year um, municipalities have to go out and physically count the number of people who are sleeping on their streets, and that's sort of important because it's a nighttime count of the folks who are bedded down. It happens annually for lots of different reasons, both research related, but it's also part of the mandates we have in order to get money from the state and other other people. So that count happens everywhere. We in Santa Monica received our results recently. Um, we're still waiting on some of our neighbor and regional results to know where we compare. Um, but 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 why don't we start with you, David? What What was our number this year? for the homeless count. So our number for 2023 was a total uh, count of 926 individuals. And this was an increase of 15% from 2022. And in context, compared to 2019 pre-pandemic, we had 985 people experiencing homelessness in Santa Monica. And that includes both people that were experiencing homelessness on our streets, uh, in vehicles and makeshift shelters, as well as in shelter and other institutional settings. Right. So it's not it's not just the the classic homeless person. It's it, it's broad broader than that. Um, and we should note that there's been some fluctuation in these numbers over the pandemic because there were pandemic era rules in place about how many people could be in a shelter, and there were things about moving people. And so there were, there was some these numbers have fluctuated in a little bit over the recent I would say call it three years. But this 900 and change number actually was is pretty consistent to where we've been for the last five-ish years. Um, and so given that, let's just start broadly speaking. Given that, how do you guys classify that number? What, what does that number mean to you? Is that, does that say crisis? Does that say status quo? Does that say, you know, a, a huge problem? Like what, what does 900 and change homeless people on the streets mean to you guys in the city administration? Well, I'll start from my perspective as city manager and um, one person experiencing homelessness on our streets is a crisis. It is not um, something that we should take for granted or take as the status quo. 
So whether the number is 926 that it is today or 807 last year, um, it is a crisis. And I say that uh, pragmatically because even though uh, we knew our number was 807 last year, which was actually a reduction of almost 100 people experiencing homelessness in our community compared to 2020, um, we were already in motion and making plans to broaden and expand and deepen our approach. So my point is uh, 926, 807, whatever the number is, it constitutes a crisis and an issue that requires immediate and urgent attention. And so, so got it, immediate and urgent attention. Has it received immediate and urgent attention in your view in the recent history? Like, do you, is, you know, so we say it requires immediate and urgent attention, but I also look at it and say, well, yeah, but it's been that number for a while and didn't, didn't seem to make a difference five years ago, right? So what's, what about it now requires immediate and urgent attention on your part? And, and what do you think? So, and then you should say, what is the city doing? So what does that mean? What is immediate and urgent attention fr- from the city of Santa Monica? So I, I can only speak to my uh, experience in history here since October of 2021. And what I can certainly say uh, very specifically and concretely is that Santa Monica has always taken a very strong approach to addressing homelessness. And I think about it in the context of the multidisciplinary street teams that we've deployed on the street, our homeless liaison program team we've deployed on the street, the affordable housing that we have prioritized. So going back to 2016, when the community supported uh, a sales tax measure to allocate resources to affordable housing. So there has been consistent and persistent action taken by the city to address the issue of homelessness. So from my perspective, the city has always given this top attention and treated it as a top priority. And what we're looking to do now is deepen and expand on the approaches that we've done historically uh, because they're best practices, they work, and it's what's needed to support people who are experiencing homelessness in our community. So if they're best practices and they work, why haven't we seen a, a noticeable or measurable reduction in, in recent history, right? The, the reduction we had in the pandemic is widely attributed to things related to the pandemic, like moving people out of shelters. Like no one actually thinks that fewer people were made homeless during the pandemic, right? There wasn't like there was this wild success story. It was there were administrative things that happened that impacted the count. And so if what we've been doing are best practices and if what we've been doing works, why hasn't that number shifted? And as a corollary to that, why do people feel like it has reached significantly worse heights, we'll call it this year, recently? So I think let's start with the data. So the data says, and Ashay and her team have been very keen to educate myself on the data, it says that more people become homeless every day than are becoming housed. And that's a really important point because that helps to explain the context in which we're operating in. Number two is there is no way that we have developed enough affordable housing and permanent supportive housing to support all the individuals that are in need of being housed. Three, and I think this is something that Ashay could talk to you very specifically is, when we work with people who are on the streets experiencing homelessness, that are not there are not enough back-end services, so uh, substance abuse treatment centers, uh, other types of crisis facilities, uh, there's not enough resources to connect people to. Um, so those continue to be um, factors that when we, when we talk about the system being gridlocked, that's exactly what it looks like in pragmatic terms. So while we're continuing to do great work every day, and we can talk about some of the successful connections we've made over the past year in terms of the number of people we've connected to housing, the reality dictates 
that uh, the numbers will continue to increase so long as we do not have enough back-end services, such as substance abuse and mental health treatment services, and we do not produce an adequate supply of affordable housing and per- permanent supportive housing. Got it. And so breaking all that stuff down, I, great. More people are being made homeless than are finding housing. In what context? Because that's not in Santa Monica, right? We're not, we're not making more people homeless inside city limits than we are finding housing for people. And, and I, I say that, and my anecdotal evidence of that is we have things like an affordable housing list that prioritizes Santa Monicans who are made homeless, right? So, so we, we actually know some numbers around our local counts. So more people are being made homeless than are finding homes. Like in what, what geographic region does that number encompass? Is that county? Is that state? Like where, where, where does that number cover? Well, I'll let Shay speak to specifically that number because I think, believe it's a number that's produced by LASA. But I think we always have to understand the regional context in which we operate. We operate in L.A. County. L.A. County has 65,000 people experiencing homelessness. Our borders are porous. So people are moving between jurisdictions, whether it's L.A. City, L.A. County, and Santa Monica on a continual basis. So that helps to explain uh, the number of folks that are on our streets. And I don't know, Shay, if you want to talk specifically about um, the numbers that LASA produces. Sure. And so, yeah, it, it is a lot of a number. Um, I think today's point, um, Santa Monica's borders are poor. So, so folks are coming into the city from every, from other areas, you know, on a regular basis. But I think to your point about um, the eviction and homeless prevention, you're correct, Matt, that the city does spend a lot of um, resources on making sure that Santa Monicans who are at risk of becoming homeless for a variety of reasons, that that doesn't happen is that we stand that side as much as possible. And I think we've been successful in doing so either with direct um, assistance to landlords to make sure that, you know, people get, you know, caught up on their rent, especially when there was a rent increase, um, and also through um, legal services to prevent either people from being evicted or if they do have to be evicted, um, there isn't an eviction on their record and they're able to, you know, transfer to to other housing um, to avoid that kind of thing. So Santa Monica has done a a lot. But I think to your point, Matt, about, you know, where is that happening? It's happening in other places that um, that the city is surrounded by. Again, the city of Santa Monica is surrounded on three sides by the city of L.A., which we know has, um, you know, a very large homeless issue. So that's where those numbers are coming from. And those folks that may be rendered homeless in other parts of, of, you know, L.A. city or county um, can, you know, easily make their way to Santa Monica. Sure. And and. You know, we can just jump right into this topic for a second because this is going to get into what I think residents and some of the people who are worried are, are concerned about, right? Which is that Santa Monica is spending lots of money, <laughs> lots and lots of money, and we're spending it on a variety of different programs, right? We have things like you said, the multidisciplinary street team. For folks who don't know, that's a group of individuals who come from different backgrounds, doctors, social workers, sometimes law enforcement, who physically go out onto the streets and talk to people, try and connect them with services, right? We have different iterations of those, different people fund them. We are building housing, right? We're actually building affordable housing. We do offer all these other kinds of services. And yet, to your point, if more people are being made homeless than are finding homes, then it can feel like what we're doing is deck chairs on the Titanic. It can feel like we're not even treading water. And I, and there are people, there are critiques that are leveled at the homelessness response that says all we're doing 
is solving someone else's problem, right? These are my words I'm summarizing, but the logic is people are being made homeless in a different city, county, or even state. And those individuals are failing to care for their most needy residents. They're failing to provide for foster kids who age out. They're failing to provide for domestic violence survivors. Perhaps they're just shipping, or not shipping, they're failing to provide rehabilitation for criminals. And that as long as those areas continue to fail to to stem the tide, nothing we do here is going to make a noticeable impact. And again, I'm, this, I'm laying all this out and we'll talk about it. But then the logic from that then says, if that's happening, then building 50 units of housing here is never going to make a difference. Perhaps what we should be doing is spending money to advocate for services in other communities, right? Or perhaps what we should be doing is working with lobbyists to mandate something gets built somewhere else. Or perhaps what we should be doing is addressing, creating some sort of regional task force that, that, that takes folks and perhaps rehouses them at their last known permanent address, right? Instead of here. And so whatever the, the end solution is, there is a, a group of residents, majority or not, who feel like that. And while I absolutely want to get into talking about the things we're doing and why they're working, I think this is the crux of the criticism that the city faces around its homelessness response, right? It's, it's whatever we're doing isn't changing the feel on the street, and it's a feeling that whatever we're doing is just allowing other people to move their homelessness problems, present or future, to a place like Santa Monica that is compassionate and caring and ethical enough to want to address the problem right? Because we are. <laughs> That's, so So I know I've laid out a lot there. Who wants to address that? Who wants to talk about that part? Well, let me start off with one, a few different components to that question. And then I think, Ashay, you can come in and um, magnify and amplify as you're closer to a lot of this work. That perspective is absolutely what influences um, the depth of the programming we offer. So for example, right, in addition to the housing that we look to produce, in addition to the outreach that we do, in addition to the work through our police department, we also have something called Project Homecoming. And Project Homecoming is a program where uh, through our service providers, we will connect people to their family or other persons who may be able to care for them outside of the city of Santa Monica. So we understand that folks come here from different environments and situations, uh, and we try to help them connect them to uh, where they can receive the supports that they need. Two, we know that we cannot, with our resources, address everyone experiencing homelessness in our community. And I think Ashay can talk a little bit about how we focus our programs around, around what we call the Santa Monica Program Participant, right? Those are people who live here, those are people who work here, and those are people who are high utilizers of our, uh, for, of our first responders. Ashay, do you want to comment a little bit on that and how that informs our approach and focuses our resources in terms of addressing homelessness? Sure, absolutely. So yeah, as Dave said, that we have a way of um, prioritizing people that um, either lost their housing in Santa Monica, um, worked or lost their job in Santa Monica, have been on the streets for a long period of time in Santa Monica, or to Dave's point, are high utilizer of first responder services, so fire, police, that kind of thing. Um, so when our providers come across somebody that's homeless on the street, they will reach out to the city to see if they can be considered what we call SMPP for short, so that we can prioritize resources accordingly. So that's prioritizing treatment beds or shelter beds, um, housing vouchers, 
And so we do have a way of kind of distinguishing between those folks that have been in Santa Monica, again, either lived or work or have, are, are on the streets, and those folks that are just, you know, that are coming from other areas. And I want to point out one other thing, that those folks that are coming from other areas, you know, they're also, they're, they're not necessarily staying here long. I mean, we've done some outreach that, that has kind of indicated that, you know, that folks that may be in our parks, for example, are not necessarily not only from Santa Monica, but are, are staying here for a long period of time. I mean, again, it's, it's you know, and it's, to Dave's point, we have porous borders and it's very fluid. And so, but that's one of the reasons that we have a way to kind of distinguish between those that, that you know, have lived or worked here um, and, and those that haven't. So that can, we can make sure that the, the, the resources that we have in Santa Monica are directed to those folks. And, and this is, let's say, and I, oh, go ahead, sorry. I just want to say one other thing about regional coordination because you mentioned that, and we do do that um, actively. We're part of the Westside City um, Council of Governments, which includes the you know independent cities of Beverly Hills, Culver City, and West Hollywood, and then the Westside cities of LA City and County. And so we're actively involved in that on their board. We have two city council members on their board, so we're constantly talking about you know issues around you know fair share. Um, and the surrounding communities doing their fair share just to make sure that it doesn't fall on any one city to kind of deal with what is obviously a regional problem. So I just wanted to mention that as well. And, and you know, one of the things I think, I think one of the problems that we have when discussing homelessness is homelessness is not one crisis, right? I know that. You guys know that. I don't actually know if residents think about it that way, but it's not. It's a student debt crisis. It's a mental health crisis. It's it's a domestic violence crisis. It's all these other kinds of there's all different kinds of people who find themselves homeless. All of those kinds of people need different kinds of services, and depending on how long they've been homeless and what the cause is, they are different. They have different capabilities of receiving services, right? And so residents, I don't think necessarily perceive the work that's done quietly and perhaps out of the public eye that you guys are referring to, to house and rehome or find people who are capable of receiving services, capable of getting their lives back together, whether that's in a tiny home or whether that's just taking their meds or whatever it might be. And I say that because I think what residents feel is the kind of individual who isn't capable of of receiving services. There are individuals, we see them on our street. I literally had to walk over, I had to walk over a human being today because the street was busy and I couldn't go anywhere else, who is in the mentally ill or on drugs or both and has possessions spread entirely over the sidewalk, is mostly clothed, which isn't always a guarantee here. That individual cannot go into housing. They're not, they're not capable of carrying on a conversation. They're not even capable of caring for themselves. That kind of individual is the kind of individual that scares residents, that disproportionately colors residents' perceptions of homelessness. And so when we're talking about all these programs and services, I think, personally, I think there's somewhat of a disconnect between the work that's done to house the people who can take housing, right? And that quietly behind the scenes may move 10, 15, 20, 30 people into housing, and that's great. Those people who are naked on the side of the road, who are throwing things at people, who are a tiny minority of the homeless community, but who disproportionately push the other ones out of the public eye, that, I think, is what drives the public perception of homelessness. And so when we talk about some of these services, 
I think residents don't always feel that they're getting the bang for their buck. They don't feel that the city's addressing the crisis that's in front of them. I think many people will understand when you explain it to them what's going on, but they perceive it as the city's solving the wrong problem, right? The, 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 the reason that they're afraid, if they're afraid to go downtown, or the reason they won't, like we see this actually all the time on my street, we're next to the post office. Folks won't walk down 5th Street and make a left on Olympic because the walk down our 5th Street is harrowing. Instead, they will make an effort to go up Colorado and across because what you walk down on 5th Street is so displeasing to most folks, they don't want to deal with it. So how are we going to address that? How is the city going to close if that's a perception gap? How are we going to close that? What can the city do to address the crisis that is that, is that group of people? right? People who aren't mentally capable of living independently, people who aren't mentally capable of taking services, people who are so destitute that they literally can't take care of themselves. What are we doing about that problem? So that's tough. And and it is tough. I don't mean to suggest you got to do a simple answer, but like, yeah, I, I, I granted, this is a very difficult subject. So a few thoughts come to mind. One is we don't often talk enough about the interconnection between our homelessness crisis and the profound drug epidemic that we are experiencing, uh, not just in Santa Monica, as a county, as a country. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I'm very attuned to and aware of is that there are a number of individuals who are suffering um, who are addicted to some very dangerous drugs. And I believe that is part and partial of some of the um, behavior that we're witnessing on the street. And we do not shy away from it, and we do not say that it doesn't exist. So a few different thoughts. Um, one is uh, one of the things that we've championed for far too long, and we are certainly hoping that we'll become more available on our streets or be deployed on our streets in the coming months or year, is a partnership with the county called the Therapeutic Transport Van. Mm-hmm. And there's been active conversations with the county for a long, long time. The MOU is now signed, and now the county's working to staff up uh, and bring that program into our city. When full deployed, it'll be housed at Old Fire Station Number 1 uh, in downtown Santa Monica. It should operate 24 hours, 7 days a week. And that will be a specific resource that residents can call when they are seeing an individual experiencing a behavioral health or mental health crisis. And so certainly we hope to provide more direct and targeted resources to individuals uh, who are having a difficult time on our streets, no doubt about it. Also, um, we cannot shy away from the fact that a police response is needed in some of these instances. And certainly between our homeless liaison program team that is targeted in their work, and certainly our patrol teams uh, that respond uh, proactively and also reactively through calls to 911 system, it is incumbent upon uh, our residents to call us so that we can be present and help to address the situation. There's no doubt that is a starting point uh, for this conversation um, because that's what we're hoping to solve. So, so with the, the therapeutic transport van, I, I'm familiar with this conversation. As you said, it's been a long time coming. What is that actually going to do? So what is it? Is it an ambulance? Is it just a transport vehicle? Like, it, So when I see, as we do very regularly, someone having an episode on our street, they may be high, they may be mentally ill, I don't know. Right, we make the decision to call. We, I assume, we, we call SMPD. Is that is it an SMPD dispatch? Like, how how will this program work? So the program will work. An individual will be encouraged to call nine one one, 
And when we pilot the program initially, it's going to be partnered with uh, both our police department and fire department resources. And the idea is that either police or fire will get to a call. Um, in the case of the fire department, they will medically clear the person. In the case of the police department, they will ensure that the environment is safe. And then this resource, which will consist of an individual lived experience, a clinician, and a driver, uh, will be able to work with that individual um, to uh, help connect them to resources. And if needed, right, take them directly to uh, crisis intervention services. So they will have that capacity if this is an individual who requires a 5150 hold or uh, requires uh, being transported, uh, they will have that capacity as well. So it's going to be a multifaceted resource to serve people who uh, maybe don't need to be transported, but also if the person is in a certain situation or state, uh, they will be able to take them to that resource. And so this, this, uh, and this isn't the city's fault, but again, this gets to difference between implementation and imagination and one of the problems. So someone's on our street. There was a woman who literally, no exaggeration, didn't move for a week, pooped in the street, had other people bring her food, just straight up didn't move. She wasn't as destitute as other folks might appear in that situation. She had clean clothes. She had a walker. She had come off the train and decided she was going to live on that corner. Call SMPD. SMPD comes out, talks to her. She doesn't want anything to do with them. SMPD leaves. That repeats for about a week. And then at a certain point, she threw a temper tantrum, started throwing a bunch of stuff into the street. um, And eventually, I believe she got a ticket for, for whatever it might be. But that person was blocking the street. You couldn't get past her. There was human feces in the street. It was disgusting. The transport van isn't going to be able to force her to do anything, right? Like It's going to come up and say, would you like services? SMPD is going to say she's safe to talk to. The fire department's going to say she's not having a medical emergency. If she's not a danger to herself, an immediate danger to herself or other people, she's not going to get what – that's what 5150 is the, the, the code – for a police department to deciding someone's a danger, immediate danger to themselves or someone else. So then she just keeps pooping in the street like that. So how does the, how does the van solve those kinds of problems, right? Like wh- where is the, again, I got an email today from someone send me photos of, again, half naked man using the sidewalk up at 15th and Wilshire, right? Like using the sidewalk as a bathroom. He says, no, I don't want to get in your transport van transport van is just going to drive away and that guy's going to stay on the corner how does that help so similar experience slightly different um when i first arrived in santa monica um i had noticed an individual that was uh, sleeping on the beach same spot on the beach um weeks passed then months started passing and the individual was clearly dying on our streets So I connected with West Coast Care, connected with our help team, connected with other resources, and they started making contacts with that individual. As you um, noted earlier in this conversation, folks come to homelessness in many different ways. For some, it has to do with substance abuse. For some, it has to do perhaps with mental health or behavioral health issues. Others, it could be loss of income or unemployment. And certainly duration of being on the streets and experiencing homelessness is also another factor to consider. So I don't suggest that the transport van, uh, by the snap of anyone's fingers, is going to uh, magically take this issue away from us. What I suggest is that it becomes another type of resource that can make connections with individuals, 
particularly because the kinds of resources that we deploy are deep in that they're multidisciplinary, right? So in the context of the transport van, it's someone who has clinical uh, background, someone who has lived experience. And so this is the kind of resource that can hopefully find different angles and ways to help make a connection to someone. And I certainly hope, right, that if we do truly come into contact with someone who uh, cannot take care of themselves, uh, that we are able to leverage whatever tools that we can uh, to help alleviate them of their suffering. Um, one of the things that we're paying very close attention to, and I credit our city attorney's office for this, is we're following the care court implementation very closely. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I'm hopeful for is that as that comes to fruition, and we're told to expect it to come into fruition towards the end of this calendar year in Los Angeles, that we'll be able to use that as yet another tool uh, to help folks um, who are suffering homelessness on our streets. So, so folks, care court is a it's a legal pathway that's going to enable individuals to clear citations um, essentially by, by accepting services, right? It's a very nutshelled version of what it's going to do. So if someone who's been on the street gets a bunch of tickets, eventually those tickets will lead them to incarceration because they don't for most of the time or whatever it might be. The negative consequences is they can go to a care court and the care court, instead of incarcerating them, will say, we'll clear these tickets if you do X, Y, and Z, such as go into services, take your meds, do whatever it might be. Um, and this is a statewide program that the governor's rolled out that Los Angeles will be one of the, the pilot pilot programs for. Um, so so to, to sort of maybe restate what you've said there for folks, like what the van does and what all of these services do is it's a means of contacting people multiple times, right? Because what you need to do is talk to someone multiple times to convince them to take services. And part of the reason that the, that the van is a important tool is because police officers have neither necessarily the training nor the time to be that high touch service, nor do paramedics, right? So if you've got someone who's talking to police and fire daily because they're being called out daily, right? The more, the more efficient, just purely mercenary terms, the more efficient way to handle that person is to pay for folks in the van to talk to them every day rather than pay for a police and fire officer to talk to them every day with the hope that the people in the van will have a different skill set or the help team or the C3 team or whoever will have a different kind of skill set to finally convince that person to take take those services, right? That, that's kind of the, mm -hmm. that's the, the big, the big picture philosophical approach, right? Yes. It's, it's contact people repeatedly with different messages and hope they accept the services at some point, which then elevates them off the street. But what I, one point I want to amplify on is when we talk about our approach to homelessness, the way we frame it is we balance compassion with enforcement. And I think what you outlined very well is our compassionate response but we also take enforcement very seriously as well. And I share that because what we've built into our system when we do have to take enforcement uh, matters and take enforcement action through our city attorney's office, we have something called an alternative to incarceration program where an individual who may have been, may have been taken into custody, they have another outlet and opportunity to get connected to resources. And it's a program that we're looking to expand. We've applied for new grant opportunities to expand what we call our homeless, I believe it's our homeless care court uh, program so that we provide another pathway and avenue for individuals to get connected to resources uh, who otherwise might have come into contact with the criminal justice system. Got it. And, and this should be something that we should just state up front, is, which is 
no matter how loud or angry people want to get about it, this isn't an arrest solution. You can't arrest your way out of this problem. Like that's me saying that. You guys say that, but you can't arrest your way out of this problem for several reasons. A, being homeless is in and of itself isn't a crime, nope. nor are some of the elements of homelessness. And if you really want to get in the weeds on it, there's federal laws that prevent criminalization of homelessness, there's the Boise decision, blah, 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 blah. It's not a criminal problem. You can't arrest your way out of this, all kinds of reasons, right? So for folks who get mad and just want someone to be swept up, for folks who want that van to be the van out of like, I mean, I, I mean, this is a dated reference, but you ever, you ever see the TV show, The Prisoner? Yes. Yes. For folks who don't know, the van rolls up, someone gets pulled into the side of it, and they disappear, and you never see them again. There's folks who want that response for homelessness. They want a black van to roll up, a guy to be grabbed off the street, and then to never think about him again. That can't happen. So what residents need to understand in this conversation is that there are places where you can make a difference, right? And there's, there's limitations on what the police department can do. People do, in fact, have civil rights, even if they're homeless. But Again, coming back to the resident questions around it, right? I think what residents question and what, what is so concerning to them is this feeling that nothing's working, this feeling that it's getting worse. And whether the numbers say it's up or down, the emotional response is this is getting worse. And so so why? Like there's this feeling that, that the city isn't doing enough. And so... So let's just, I just brass tax it for a little bit. Like, what what new things is the city doing? Right, we mentioned the van. Like, what are the what are the other new resources or programs that are coming online to try and address the problem? So I just want to speak to my experience as a resident and also as the city manager. So, uh, what you describe, what residents feel, are real. And what I think is important to emphasize is that uh, seeing that, knowing that, touching that, and understanding that throughout the course of last year, certainly our team in community services and police, we challenged ourselves to think about how would we continue to invest in our response? How would we continue to invest in the system uh, to do more? And so uh, that precipitated uh, going to the council and asking them to place measure CS on the ballot, which was a increase in the transient occupancy tax, specifically to address issues of public safety and homelessness. And that tax passed, 73% of voters supported it which was a clear and resounding message to us in City Hall that we have to invest resources to address these two issues. So here's what we're planning to do. First of all is we plan on expanding our police department, specifically targeted towards expanding our homeless liaison program team. Right now they operate four days a week, and we want them to operate seven days a week, Monday through Sunday. Second is we want to add additional outreach into the city, the multidisciplinary outreach that we do very well. Right now we concentrate our efforts in downtown, and the beach areas. And we would like to expand that to include portions of the city east of Lincoln. We still need more, but it's a start. We want to use county resources that we're bringing in to expand outreach that will be partnered with our police department, potentially through service operators such as the Salvation Army. We want to expand Sam Shell so that it can have intakes 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Right now, a big challenge that we face is that our first responders have nowhere to bring someone after 5, 6 p.m. in the evening. And we would like to provide an outlet for them so that if they can connect someone to services like the shelter, that they have that capacity and capability uh, overnight hours. We plan on expanding our public works team so that they have a dedicated team to help keep our community clean and address encampments and address areas that are impacted by homelessness. And those are just some of the things we're looking at doing as we look to the future, right? Another tax that passed back in November was Measure GS, and that's a special tax 
that has to go to three areas, schools, preventing homelessness, and affordable housing development. And so we're hopeful that as that tax comes to life and develops resources, that we'll continue to expand on these approaches, particularly in the areas of preventing homelessness and affordable housing production, which is where we think it's so very needed because we know that fundamentally that homelessness is a housing issue. There's not enough housing to support all the people on our streets. Got it. And, and um, for folks, so um, GS, sorry, is the one that is currently uh, tied up in in potential court challenges, right? So that one's, there's a little bit of an asterisk on, on where that'll go. Um, CS is a tax paid by essentially tourists and visitors who, who, who pay it overnight. I guess... How confident are you that any that this is going to make a difference, right? Because because I'm going to I keep coming back to the notion that I have never met a Santa Monican, I never met a resident who disputes the need to take care of folks who are Santa Monicans that are made homeless or Santa Monicans that are in trouble, right? No one disputes the need to take care of folks who are being gentrified out of their units or being tenant harassed or just mentally ill individuals who are here and and, and have found themselves on the streets. Right? No, no one disputes that, nor does people actually dispute the need to be compassionate. And anyone who's reasonable has an understanding that we are always going to be somewhat of a draw. Right? Venice is on our border. The California dream is out there. Folks are always going to wash up, for lack of a better term, on our shores in some capacity. But they've also been told for years we're doing something. Right? It was there's all there's stuff has been done we going way back when to to you know 20 years ago or 30 years ago there were there was a time when the the big cause of homelessness the problem was there was too many people feeding homeless folks in the parks and so we banned that right and there were there were times when different whatever the problem du jour was people have been told well here's a solution we're working on it and yet we've still got almost a thousand people homeless on the street and so how confident are you these new programs are going to make a difference that people will notice, that people will feel. Not that they're not going to do anything. They're going to do something. I, everyone acknowledges that. Are they going to make the kind of difference that people will notice and feel in their day-to-day lives? I think so, and I think in a couple of different ways. The reason why we're so heavily investing in what we call the front-end services, so the outreach teams, expansion of the Homeless Liaison Program team, is because I think one of the things that frustrate uh, the vast majority of residents, including myself, is that there's no resource at these times. There's no resource on the weekend. So there's no homeless liaison program team making connections with individuals. The uh, availability of outreach services east of Lincoln, uh, really we have to go through LASA. We don't have anything under our city control. And so I think where there'll be a particular um, benefit is that people will see a more responsive government on these issues um, and they'll see us going to address them more quickly uh, than we otherwise can today. Um, Will they uh, be successful in terms of connecting people to services and housing? I would suggest yes, that's what is working today. So our Homeless Liaison Program team is getting people connected to services every day. Our outreach teams are connecting people to services housing every day. So the more we have of those resources, um, the more we'll continue to do this good work. And, and I guess following up on that, so we'll wrap it up in a minute. This is one of those topics we've talked about for a long time, but we are approaching time limits on it. But are we going to, do you think we in the city of Santa Monica can actually have an impact on this problem? Like, I know it sounds like fatalistic, but I do think there's something to be said for the notion that, again, deck chairs on the Titanic, 
that as long as more people are being made homeless writ large in Los Angeles County or the state or even the nation than are, than are finding homes, all of these programs are, 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 could be argued are doomed to failure, not because they're bad programs, not because they won't work, but because there's something else upstream that is perpetually causing the problem. And what, what can we as residents do about that? I mean, I know what I, t- so here's what I, what I tell people is you have to start, stop yelling at city council and start yelling at your representatives in Sacramento. You have to stop yelling at city council and start yelling at, at your, your federal representatives, that it needs to be something that governors are raked over the coals for every single time they go out in public, that short of that sort of almost uprising, nothing's going to make a difference because the problem is so much larger than one city or county that we, until we deal with it at that level, we're never going to make a difference. So I know I'm sound, like I say, sounding fatalistic, but like, do you, do you see where I'm coming from on that? Do you think that's where we're at? Or do, do you actually think that as a local municipality, we're going to be able to make a dent in this? So um, I'm a city manager, so I'm hopeful. And I am hopeful that we're going to make a dent to this as a city. But I also am um, realistic. And I do think it takes all of us uh, speaking to our county supervisor, uh, speaking to Metro, speaking to our state representatives, speaking to our federal representatives, and making it clear, right, one of the things that we have made abundantly clear with our emergency declaration is that Santa Monica does not have all the resources it needs to address this issue alone. We need our county to uh, accelerate mental health services, behavioral services, substance abuse services. We need the city of L.A., the county of L.A. to expand and accelerate their affordable housing production and permanent supportive housing production. We need Metro uh, to address the issues that are happening on their trains. So, yes, it's going to take everyone rowing in the same direction. It's going to be asking our county federal and state partners to support us, right? We need more direct funding from Sacramento to do the work that we're doing. We cannot do this alone. But I think if we continue to chip away at that and advocate for ourselves very strongly, we have a chance to make even more of a difference in the difference we're going to make with the resources we have at our disposal. Got it. All right. Well, like I say, I always give folks a chance to, you know, was there anything else you, we wanted? Like, we could talk forever on this. There's always more to talk about, but I do know we're, we're approaching our time limit. So is there anything else you guys wanted us to, to talk about here or, or should we put a pin in it now? We'll come back to it. Come back to it in three months. See where we're at. I appreciate putting a pin in it, coming back to that from my perspective. I just want to share that within City Hall, this is an issue that um, we talk about all the time and we are very focused on addressing the issue of homelessness. And that's why we are very prepared to accelerate our work when Measure CS was adopted. And we're very prepared to accelerate our work as we came off the last election. So I don't know, Shay, if you want to leave with any concluding remarks. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify one thing. Sorry, I'm getting feedback to Matt regarding um, the CARE Court. So that is separate from the Homeless Community Court, which the city has been running for many, many years regarding people that build up citations and forgiving their tickets. Um, if they accept services. The CARE Court um, or the CARE Act is really meant to address the people that you're talking about, the person that you stepped over, people that are, you know, 18 years and older with a diagnosis of schizophrenia or some sort of psychotic disorder, obviously can't take care of their activities of daily living and and need um, 
a needed intervention. So I just wanted to make the distinction between those two programs. So we're hoping that the care court, to Dave's point earlier, will be able to address some of the folks that you're talking about that, that are on our streets and, and clearly not able to take care of themselves. But the one other thing I do want to say, and, and Dave mentioned at the beginning, the, the homeless multidisciplinary services team, you know, they take, they have a caseload of, of folks that you're talking about too that are on the streets. And I, we have meetings every week and we talk about the progress that people that kind of, the kind of people that you're referring to that, um, you know, that can really be helped with medication and therapy and continued um, outreach and, you know, going into some sort of interim housing and being stabilized. So I just want to make the point that I know it is frustrating for residents to see those folks on the streets, but but they are being they are being outreached to and, and some of them are getting off the street with, with this kind of more targeted multidisciplinary care, including nursing, psychiatry, that kind of thing. And I only know that because I'm in these meetings every week and I see the progress that's being made with people that, quite frankly, you wouldn't necessarily think could make progress. So I just wanted to put that out there as well. Got it. All right. Well, like I said, I do appreciate you guys coming by. I appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to us about it. It's certainly front of mind for everybody. And yeah, I think we'll just keep talking about it and, and check in, check in in a few months and see where we're at. But I do appreciate you both coming on. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Take care.